following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. The end of the Rooted series. We've been in this series for 15 weeks now, looking at the book of Galatians. We started with a talk called More Than a Greeting. I don't know if you guys were there for that, but that was on May 21st, which feels like a really long time ago. So it's kind of like sitting through a college course. You've heard, this will be the 15th talk now in the book of Galatians that you'll be hearing. And uh, hopefully you've gleaned some new information. It's not just information, but it's heart knowledge that you've been able to apply to your life and your perspective. And so just to do a fun little review game type thing... Uh, we're going to look into Galatians chapter 6 and finish, finish the book of Galatians this morning. And Paul's going to give us kind of his, his final charge or some reminders of what he has talked about throughout the book of Galatians. But for fun, we're going to do a little quiz together. And again, this is like community groups. We're not judging anyone. The questions are pretty easy. So you guys stoked or wanted to do that or no? Yeah? Yeah? All right. There's more maybes than no's, so we'll go for it. Here's a, here's a practice question, and if you guys get this one wrong, we'll end service right now, and I'll just walk off the stage. <laughs> we'll go home and watch some football games. Practice question. The book we have been studying, <laughs> the last three months together at Canyon Ridge is A, Genesis, B, The Hunger Games, C, Galatians. We're going to answer all together on the count of three. One, two, three. See, someone's trying to be funny. All right, so these types of questions. I just have three of, three of them this morning. Question number one. The churches in the region of Galatia were being led astray by a people called A, the Judaizers, B, the Martians, or C, the Rolling Stones. One, two, three. Still some of you guys. Question two. The Judaizers were teaching the churches in the region of Galatia that in addition to believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus for salvation, you also needed to be A, hypnotized, B, sanitized, C, circumcised. One, two, three. Good. Got 100% so far. Last question. Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through A, hatred, B, essential oils, or C, love. One, two, three. C. C. Give yourselves a round of applause. You did it. You aced the course. Congratulations. So Paul's been talking for... For six chapters now, and really encouraging the Galatian people to live according to the gospel, rooted in the gospel. And he's said it in so many different ways, so many ways, every way he knows possible. And really, over and over throughout the book, he's been addressing these two main themes. The first is this idea of legalism, that I can control God's affections for me by the actions that I do, by the way that I behave. I can control the salvation. I can earn salvation through the works 
of my life or doing certain things in a certain way. Legalism believes and thinks that you can control God's love for you. You can control God's delight in you based upon how you behave. It's these outward circumstances. It's not about faith. It's not about heart. And Paul has been blowing this up, right, all the way through the book of Galatians. We've seen that. Um, but he might say, Paul might say this morning, like a person who is living legalistic feels like they need to tip the balance in their favor and do more good things in their life that outweigh the bad things in, in your life. So maybe you're watching the McGregor-Mayweather fight and you had a lot of anger and all this stuff and you did all the sinning last night and you thought, man, I really need to outweigh the bad I did last night, so I need to go to church today and put some more good things in there. I don't even want to be to be at church. I just feel like I have to, to put some things in the good category to outweigh the bad that I've done in my life. Try to tip the scales in your favor with God. And on the other side of legalism, there's this idea of license that Paul addresses as well. You think like you have this, this fake license in your hand that allows you to act and live and do whatever you want because Jesus already died for my sins, right? So that had already happened, and yeah, I believe in that. So now I can just do my own thing and live, live it up. Jesus already died for all of my sins. And so you go on, and, and maybe you deal with gossip. Maybe you're a gossiper, but you think, yeah, I gossip, but it's not like I'm gossiping with non-Christians about Christians. I'm gossiping with my closest friends. And besides, Jesus already forgave me for the sin. He already knew I was going to do these things when he died on the cross. Or maybe you're prone to anger and you think, well, this is, this is the way that God made me. And I'm just speaking the truth. And sure, sure, I may be sinning, but, but God still loves me because God is love. And so you have this license. And so Paul has been blowing up in Galatians this idea of legalism, this idea of license. And these are, these are two beliefs that at the heart are really rooted, no pun intended, but rooted in the same issue. It's, it's a heart issue. It's a failure to trust God at his word and to live according to that word. You fail to trust that he will save you by what he has accomplished on the cross. Legalism. It's Jesus Christ alone. It's by grace through faith in Christ, that you don't have to do anything to add to the work of Jesus. And this, this root issue is not not, a, not an issue that hasn't been around for all of time. It's not something that just came about in Paul's time or today. It's actually all the way back in the book of Genesis. We could read about it. And we're actually going to flip there really quick. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip open to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And if you don't have your Bible, you could use your phone or it will be up on the screen. And I want you to see how this idea, this, this heart issue of not trusting God and legalism versus license, this, this balance comes to play right at the beginning of time. So here it is. Adam is in the middle of a garden, and God is going to talk to him here. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, let's stop for a second. Adam's got the sweet gig going on. Let's, let's all agree with that, right? He's in the middle of this garden that was created just for him. 
I, I imagine tropical, right? It's like nice. There's probably like a thermostat on the tree. You can control the weather. And there's all these animals that aren't going to kill him. They're just like chilling with him. We've got giraffes and zebras and bears, and he's naming them, and they're his pets. And there's these fruit trees that I'm sure are phenomenal. Like there was probably a bacon fruit before the fall of man, I'm just assuming. And so everything is just awesome tasting. He grabs the fruit from this tree, and he's like, this is the best thing literally that I've ever eaten in my life. And then he grabs the fruit from this tree, and this is also literally the best thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. And there's this one tree, one tree alone, that Adam is told that he's not to eat from. So we skip forward to chapter 3 in Genesis. Eve has been created. The serpent here comes into the scene. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, which she kind of adds there, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Translation, it's not that big of a deal. God doesn't really know what's best for you. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what happens? We're familiar with the story. They listen to the serpent. They eat of the fruit. Verse 7, their eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. So what then? They they got these fig leaves and sewed these loincloths. As a child, I always wondered, like, did they have yarn? Did they have string? How they sew these loincloths together? I don't know. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here we see it. The serpent comes in, says, God doesn't really know what will bring you joy. God doesn't really know what will bring you fulfillment and happiness in your life. I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. It's just like fruit from the other trees. And this is, this is license. This is where the license that we talked about comes into play, saying you can do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. Your life should revolve around you and your choices. But then what happens? They, they eat the fruits, and now it flips, and now it's, it's legalism. And they try to cover up. They try to hide their sin. They try to do certain things, certain actions to make up for the sin in their life under their own will and their own power. So we see at the beginning of time, and as human beings, this is where we live in this place, dealing with legalism and license in our life. We, we live in this tension of trying to cover up our own sins. I need to go hide. I need to cover myself, trying to make myself righteous by doing all these things in my life. Or I know what's best for me. God doesn't know what's best for me. Only I know that. And, and legalism really is, is easy to hide. It's not something that's easy to point out amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, we can, we can come with a legalistic attitude in church and pretend that we believe all the same things that everyone else believes. We may know the worship songs, and we sing the worship songs, and sometimes even raise our hands 
we can talk the lingo and know these Christianese phrases. We could throw out words like the gospel or sanctification or the stuff that makes us sound like we know what we're talking about. We might even have a Christian bumper sticker on our car that says, God loves you, but everyone else thinks dot, dot, dot. Or listen to Spirit 105.3 or all these different things, but at the heart, fail to trust God and have active faith and believe in him. And so here in Galatians, Paul's going to give us this final warning this morning. These last seven verses to stop and say, let me tell you something. If you missed, if you snoozed, if you didn't pay attention to the rest of the book of Galatians, this letter that I wrote you, Galatian people, listen to this chunk. Candy Ridge Church, if you fell asleep for the last 14 sermons, (laughs) listen to this one this morning. So we'll start in Galatians 6. Verse 11, and we'll work our way through the rest of the chapter. Sound good? Great. Verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So look at how this begins. See with what large letters I am writing this to you. I think in my mind, maybe there's a a scribe transcribing the words that Paul says and writing this letter uh, on his behalf to the Galatian people. And Paul actually grabs the pen here and writes this because it's so important, and says, see, I'm writing this in my own hand, and see how pronounced it is. I'm imploring you, Galatian people, to pay attention to these last words here. Look, if you hear nothing else, hear these words. And so the first thing that Paul is going to address here is the trap of legalism. The trap of legalism. Uh, Look at verse 12 and 13. And as those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So Paul is saying those teachers that are telling you to be circumcised, to live according to this Old Testament law of Moses and these ritualistic ways to be saved, he's saying they're doing these things in order to trap you specifically through legalism. And one way that legalism can trap us is through an attitude of pride, an attitude of pride. This is one of the mindsets, the way that legalism can trap us. It says, they want to make a good showing in the flesh, that they may boast in your flesh. When you do something that you think earns grace or earns salvation for your life, that takes away glory from God and it grows pride in your life. You become 
proud of the fact, and these could be, these would be good, well-intentioned things, like solid things that we should be doing, but maybe you, you become prideful of the fact that you never watch rated R movies, or you never drink alcohol, or all your friends are Christians and they go to church at some place, or you even have given in the offering even though you faced some financial difficulties and hardships, and all, all these things could be great things, good things. But when our intention behind them becomes, I'm earning my salvation or I'm earning love from God, then that that obedience has now become a vehicle for pride in your life. Uh, Look at it this way. Say I just got this mansion house, which we really got to imagine that one. Say I have this this mansion house. It's like 7,000 square feet. And it has six bedrooms, 12 bathrooms, because you don't know if you're going to get lost and you might need a bathroom. So there's a lot of them. And like there's this cool pool in the backyard and landscaped water feature. And it looks over Commencement Bay. So it's like super sweet. And so I want to show this off to my friends. And so I have this dinner party and I invite friends over to come to my house. And I greet them, open up the door. And it's like marble floor, this giant entryway. Mar- like marble and vaulted ceilings and two fireplaces in the entryway because I wanted more than just one. And they said, I'm like, wow, man, how did you get this house? Where did this come from? And I say, well, actually, I built it. I built it with my own hands. I'm beginning to show them around to all these different things. And I said, oh, this really took a long time because I had to deal with this and I had to order this. And I show them this giant kitchen with this granite. And I say, yeah, it's like, imported from Indonesia, and it took a really long time. I take them out to the back, and the, the pool, and all this cool stuff. My friends would be like, wow, man, I, I can't believe you did that, especially because I was on the World Vision mission trip, and you had a hard time putting in the weather stripping on the door. <laughs> like, that's incredible that you, that you could do such a thing. But imagine instead, if they asked me, Wow, this is incredible. Where'd you get this house? And I say, well, well, actually, a friend built it for me. And get this, it's incredible. They built it for free. How do you think my friends would respond? They wouldn't be so praiseworthy of me. They would be like, who's your friend? And can I have their contact information? <laughs> right? Those things. When you aren't accomplishing something all of a sudden, the focus isn't on you. It isn't about you. And it's, it's human nature, right? When we accomplish something, we want to celebrate it. It's, say we graduated from college or got a promotion at work or actually did build something, something that I can't really do. You could ask Roy about that. But it's human nature, right? But God is the most glorious being in the entire world did everything needed by giving everything possible through his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. So when it comes to salvation, he deserves all of the glory. He took away any chance for us to boast in ourselves so that we may only boast in him. We come and we say, God has done this work in my life through Jesus Christ to him be the glory. The trap of legalism traps us in this attitude of pride, thinking that we are earning this thing who are not. The trap of, of legalism also 
helps you to avoid persecution. And this is kind of an interesting take, so, so follow me on this. Let's look at verse 12 again. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So Paul brings this up, and there's a couple different ways that we could look at it this morning. First of all, back when Paul was actually writing this, this was an actual, like, real thing that they were dealing with. This is very ac- accurate. Up to this point, again, we've talked about it at nauseum. The, the Judaizers here were saying, yeah, you need Jesus to be saved, but you also need to follow these rituals and these laws. Particularly, you need to be circumcised. So if you were a, a Christian that went into a Jewish synagogue and said, yeah, actually, I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that. I believe it's just by grace through faith. It's in Christ alone. Then at minimum, you would be rebuked. You'd be ridiculed. You'd be mocked. You'd probably be thrown out of the, the Jewish temple. And if you proceeded to come back with that gospel message, that Christian message, and say, no, it's through Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ alone. Then at most, I mean, you could be beaten. You could be stoned to death. People were murdered at that time. I mean, Paul himself was beaten many times and almost killed. I mean, this is a very real thing. He preached that salvation is only through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So you'd be persecuted for that in that time. But if you look even in modern times, right, today, just this last year, in the year 2016, 1,200 people around the world were killed for their faith and their belief in Jesus Christ, that it's through Christ alone. There was over 1,300 churches just this last year, some of which in America, which were attacked for their faith in the cross of Christ. In Iraq alone, where before, there's been said to be somewhere around 1.5 million Christians. That number is now down to about 300,000 today because of the cross of Christ. So it's very evident that the cross of Christ is still a reason that people are persecuted around the world today. And you might say, and I've, I thought about this, you might say, well, yeah, but, but in America we have these religious freedoms, we have these religious rights, there's not so much persecution here. And I want you to to hear me on this. By no means am I trying to compare being persecuted to the point of death that's happening around the world to some of the misunderstandings and some of the hardships that we face in America sometimes by living counterculturally in this world around us. But I do want to highlight that if we're living according to the gospel and announcing the gospel to people around us, it is quite countercultural, and it can be considered offensive because the message of Christ is offensive. I mean, it says it's not about you. No one wants to hear that. It says it's not about you. You can't do it on your own. You are a sinner. You are imperfect. You need a Savior, and that's not a very friendly message. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, bore our weight, bore our shame, bore our sin. So Christ crucified strips any human merit, any legalistic merit from the process for our salvation. It reveals the desperation that we are as humans, that we need a Savior and we need God. Jesus said, unless you take up your cross 
Humble yourself. Humble yourself even to the point where you're willing to be persecuted. Unless you cherish the cross of Christ, you cannot join him on the road to Calvary. Because the road, the road to Calvary was filled with spitting. It was filled with ridiculing. It was filled with mocking. And that if your life is marked by avoiding that, avoiding persecution, then it's impossible for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So there's a, a big pitfall this morning that, that Paul's addressing in this trap of legalism. And the second and last concept that we're going to look at uh, through this text is that our life is found in death. I need some coffee. Our life is found in death. And it seems backwards to say, and if you've been in the church, you've heard this concept, I'm sure quite a few times. Paul's going to say, your life is found when death happens. So let's look at verse 14 and keep pushing forward. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So two ways that our, that our life is found through death, the first of which is the death of Jesus. Up to this point, we've talked about there's no reason to boast in ourselves. It's not by our own works, by our own effort. We see that legalism breeds pride, thinking that we're accomplishing salvation, that we've done something great. But what Paul says is, yeah, boast, but gives us the point at which we should boast. And he says, boast only in the cross. When you see the cross in Paul's day, too, thinking about it, it wasn't something that you would see a cross and you would be filled with awe and gratitude and thankfulness and all these things. You'd be filled with fear because people were actually dying on this. This was a symbol of death in their time. This is how punishment took place for people's misbehavings. But Paul turns this around, writing to Galatians, and says, no, this, the symbol of death is actually a symbol of life for those of us who believe in Christ. A symbol of torture is now a symbol of life for us. This is found in, in Romans chapter 3 as well. We've been reading Romans chapter 3 if you're doing 20-minute mornings. Um, Romans three twenty three and 24. It's quoted often. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is this unmerited favor of God, this love of God, this grace of God is extended to us despite our sin as a free gift. It's given to us. We didn't earn it. We did nothing in order to receive it. He just gave it to us as a gift. And look at what verse 25 says. Whom God put forward, talking about Jesus, as a propitiation, a word I would never use in common lingo, as a propitiation by his blood, uh, to be received by faith. So Paul, again, who, who wrote the book of Romans as well, says, God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, redeemed you, justified you, not by anything that you did, not by anything that you've accomplished, but through his blood, through his death, his death brings you life. And it's incredible to think about that, that there was a moment in time that Jesus' death, was perfect to satisfy the, the wrath of God. There was a moment in history where Jesus actually breathed, breathed his last breath on the cross 
and died. And that moment was so perfect. That moment reached into the past and reached into the future, reached all the way through today and into history and everywhere in between. And it covered and it redeemed everything from then until now and into the past and into the future. Astonished to think about. And we we often sometimes we, we read this or maybe we, we hear it for the first time and we think, you know, you don't understand. I mean, I know the story of Jesus, but you don't know where I live. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the sins that I've committed. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my addictions. You don't know my failures. And God would say, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've walked in here with, This morning, the grace of God, this free gift, has the power to cover your sin and forgive you. Your issues, your death, can be covered through Jesus' death that brings life. It's a gift, and it's by his grace. So life is is found in death, in the death of Jesus. And life is also found in the death of ourselves, number two. Look again at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We read in Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In Galatians, Paul has hit this theme over and over and over. And ultimately, it's asking us the question of, Where do you find your identity? Or rather, who do you find your identity in? Who is it that you belong to? Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, we belong to him. We only care about what he thinks. We don't work for the approval of man because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So we don't seek out approval from other people. I belong to Jesus. I've been crucified to the world, and I'm content in him. My identity is through him. And so Paul uses this phrase in verse 15 that we are a new creation. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This new creation is what exists when we die to ourselves, when we die to legalism and we realize that we're not good enough to save ourselves, that even at our best days, we're still not good enough to bridge that gap of the penalty of sin. And when you die to the licenses in your life and you now live according to the Spirit of God that we read about in Galatians chapter 5, That's when we begin to truly experience the fullness of life, the fullness of joy through Christ. Paul uses circumcision here as a representation of legalism. Paul says that it's nothing. It counts for nothing. And on the other side, he addresses uncircumcision. This is living by license, saying it doesn't matter how I live or what I do. God doesn't care what I think. Paul says it counts for nothing. So what is left then that actually counts? Boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. He says that's all that's left. Boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ is what brings about new creation. When you boast in God's work in your life, you're free of the trap of legalism. Let's look at verse 16. We're almost there. Feel it mounting and building. (laughs) And as for all of us who walk by this rule, 
What rule? Again, not living by legalism or living by license, but boasting in the cross. If you live by this rule, here is what you get. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Those who walk in the way of boasting only in the cross for salvation, the work of God in their life and nothing else, receive peace and receive mercy. Mercy mercy is this way that God looks down upon us in our low state, understanding that we can't free ourselves or do anything to earn salvation. Ephesians 2.1 says it this way, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were, we were dead. We were not, not dead. We were, we were dead. We didn't have a heartbeat. We were laying there in the ditch, lifeless, that you were dead. And then the biggest but in the Bible, Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy. See that same word, mercy. We did nothing. We were lifeless. We came in here saying, man, I've done this. I've screwed up all these ways, but I can't save myself. I can't get the AED paddles and put them on myself. But he exchanges his death for our life. God calls us to life through the death of his son, through the death of ourselves, and it's through the cross. Verse 17, final two verses. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And it's important to point out that Paul's not being figurative here. He literally had marks on his body from the beatings that he endured. He had suffered for the sake of Christ. He was beaten, almost killed. He was whipped, so he had scars. And I want to apply this again to our level, understanding that here in America we probably won't be beaten for our faith. We may not bear these physical markings on our body. By God's grace, that doesn't happen here, that type of physical persecution. So I can't say this emphatically will happen in your life, that you should or that you should be beaten for your faith. But I I do want to propose this question as I try to contextualize it for us. And the question is this, what physical evidences in your life, what physical evidences Bear your commitment to Christ. What physical evidences in your life bear your commitment to Christ? Because we should be able to look at things in our life, and there should be sacrifices, there should be different things done in our life, physically, that show a representation of our love for Christ. For instance, you may look at your calendar and say, I'd really like more time to have free time and watch Netflix or play video games or do whatever it is, just free time, some me time, but you sacrifice some of that me time to come to night of worship and prayer because you value that. You value being part of the community of the church here, or you sacrifice some of that free time to join a community group because you see the value of investing in in one another, like we talked about last week, talking about rooted community. Maybe it's a sacrifice like you'd really love to sleep in. I like to sleep in. But maybe you get up an hour early because you're trying to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So you have an hour to read scriptures and pray in the morning, to do your 20-minute mornings. Maybe looking at your bank account, there would be certain things you'd be like, yeah, I could really use a 5,000-square-foot house. That would be awesome, or a bigger TV, or a newer this, or a newer that. But because of my commitments to give my first 10% to God as a tithe, I'm not able to do those things. It's a physical sacrifice. 
These could be some marks of your commitment to Christ in your life, and there should be some physical marks of your commitment to Christ. And here it is, the moment we've been waiting for. Final verse this morning. And this is, this is a prayer here. Paul ends with a prayer in verse 18. He writes, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. We'll add, amen. So Paul, Paul doesn't end it by saying, oh yeah, remember to do this. Or he isn't forceful and say, one more reminder, you have to do this or else. Paul says, let the grace of God be with you. You can't earn salvation. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's not about you. You cannot add to it. So embrace God's grace in your life and live there. Live in that grace. Embrace the grace. Hashtag embrace the grace. It's by grace through faith in Christ. So we boast in the cross of Christ and we live by grace.